Hello, and welcome to the Work Well podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Crook, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Work Well podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with AJ Products, who are leading the way in ergonomic and active workplace furniture solutions at ajproducts.ie. Today in the Workwell podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Jason Van Shee. Jason is based in Perth, Western Australia, and has a master's in occupational psychology. But he's not an occupational psychologist, as you'll hear during our discussion. He has a primary focus on developing technological solutions with the intent to make psychological health, safety, and well-being accessible at scale and globally. He's a founder of a company called People Diagnostics, and we're going to hear quite a bit more about the company and the work Jason is doing on our chat. And he's also the co-host of the excellent Psych Health and Safety podcast, which I'm a big fan of. I get a lot of great information, great uh, details from that podcast and the guest Jason has on. Jason, he really knows his stuff when it comes to creating psychologically healthy and safe workplaces. So I know you're going to learn a lot from this conversation, just like I did. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Jason Van Shee. Jason, hello and welcome to the WorkWell podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to have you here. So yeah. Don't make us too jealous now, but what's the weather like over there in Perth? You're in Perth, if I'm not mistaken, in Western Australia at the moment. Yeah, I got to say the weather here is very unlike Perth, which you're probably really <laughs> glad to hear. It's probably more like Dublin weather than it is uh, <laughs> Perth weather, to tell you the truth. It is rainy and cold, even though we're heading into spring now. That cheers me up just a little bit there. Yes, so it's nice, yeah. and bright, nice and bright here in Dublin as, as we head into the autumn. I should clarify, though, but when I say cold, I mean it's a really cold 20 degrees. So Well... It, it, it's a beautiful, sunny uh, 12 or 13 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Jason, bring us up to speed on your DMD of People Diagnostics. Tell us a little bit about the company and, and the work that you do. Yeah, so People Diagnostics is basically the holding company for two products, Flourish DX and Flourishing at School, both technology solutions aimed at preventing mental illness and optimizing well-being. I guess the main one that your listeners would be interested in is more the, the workplace Flourish DX product. And really our, I guess, USP, if you like, is that we tackle workplace mental health, thinking about the shared responsibility of the employer and the employee. So whilst a lot of wellness type approaches will focus on improving someone's capacity for self-care and really getting the individual to look after their own well-being, what we're also very interested in is how can employers think about working conditions like workload and autonomy and relationships and whatnot, the things that they have control over to give people the opportunity to stay mentally healthy and, and to flourish if done correctly. 
Excellent. And how long have you been in operation? And what's your own background as well? You're an organizational psychologist, I believe. Organizational psychologist is actually a protected title. So not only do you have to have a master's degree in organizational occupational psychology, which I do have, but then to get the specialist or protected title, you need to do another couple of years of supervised uh, work experience. So Joelle Mitchell, who's in my team and I run the Psych Health and Safety podcast with, she is actually a real organizational psychologist. (laughs) I have the qualifications. I just don't have that supervised practical work, which I don't feel I really need, but cannot use that term without maybe calling down the wrath of someone. Very good, very good. And, and language is important. So thanks for pointing that out. And you, you mentioned the, the Psych Health and Safety podcast that you run, and I'm a big fan of that uh, yourself and, and Joelle run that. First of all, the, the wording behind the naming of the title, so the Psych Health and Safety podcast. So where does that come from? And what's kind of the intention you're trying to get across there? Yeah, so as, as I was mentioning, the um, predominant approach to workplace mental health is really focused on the individual and, and kind of a wellness approach, which I, I don't mind. In fact, I've, I've spent a bit of time delivering presentations myself on building resilience, you know, looking at paradigms like positive psychology and, and the PERMA model and these sorts of things. I think there's some really great tools there where people can kind of become equipped with their own toolkit to protect their mental health and help them to flourish. What we know is that if you're in a horrible working environment, it can be very difficult to flourish no matter how much mindfulness you practice or how many steps you count. So it's really important at some point that you, your employer considers, you know, what are the things that they're doing to create the management and design of work to a point where people are protected from, you know, work-related stress, depression, and anxiety. And so what psych health and safety is all about is really about understanding, like we look after physical health and safety, you know, what is the root cause of the problem and then applying, say, a hierarchy of controls or some way to mitigate the risk to people's health and and well-being. And so really what we're trying to do with the Psych Health and Safety podcast and with the approach of Flourish DX is to really take a health and safety lens to work-related stress and deal with it at a root cause, looking at systems-level approaches versus individuals and and symptoms, if you like, which is the, the popular approach. Yeah, and I like that approach because everyone listening here will be familiar with health and safety and the approach to that. So what you're doing effectively is looking at you taking the very same approach, but just from a psychological well-being perspective. So the, the psych health and safety, almost like a risk management approach to the well-being, to the psychological health of employees. Yeah, absolutely. So what we talk about is whether it's physical or psychological health and safety, all we're doing is talking about understanding different hazards. You know, and physical hazards, everyone knows electrical hazards, tripping hazards, manual handling hazards, working at height, that sort of thing. And when we talk about psychological hazards, we're talking about anything in the design or management of work that lead to continuous or very high levels of work-related stress. And common stresses, as I alluded to earlier, and these things like workload or lack of autonomy or lack of supervisor support or poor organizational justice, you know. So Those are the things that we're trying to identify when they exist, assess the risk of someone actually becoming burnt out or having some other form of psychological injury, and then putting in controls to mitigate that risk. The same process as physical, it's just about thinking about different types of hazards. Sure, sure. And just going back to the language again, I I heard Marianne Bainton on, on your own podcast, it was worked on the Canadian Standard talking about almost the reason, certainly in Canada, why they chose the word psychological health and safety as opposed to, let's say, uh, you know, mental health in the workplace. The main reason was when we hear the term mental health, I think a lot of people think, oh, that's related to mental illness. So the term psychological health is used because people will ask the question, okay, well, first of all, what is that? 
And it's it just has that appeal that it looked at that, that's for everybody. Whereas I think there's just that percentage of the population believes that mental health is mental illness and it's only for a certain amount of the population. Yeah. First of all, we love Marianne. She's amazing. Yeah. She's been on the podcast a couple of times now. She's actually referred to as the godmother of psychological health and safety because she's been involved in this for so long and right. really led the development of the Canadian national standard on, on psych health and safety. Yeah. So look, we weren't original like Marianne and, and others in choosing that term. Basically, when we looked at the Canadian national standard, when we looked at the incoming ISO standard, that was a terminology that was used, psychological health But I take your point and I completely agree. I think the horse is bolted when it comes to the same mental health. You know, there's so much focus on trying to destigmatize mental health, but there is such a strong relationship in people's minds for the the layperson between mental health and mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. It's really hard to disconnect the two. So I think, and Marianne, as you say, has, has spoken about this, um, Definitely using the term psychological health rather than mental health, people come in with less preconceived notions about this is what it actually means. In fact, in Australia, we've got the uh, professional body for health and safety professionals, the Australian Institute of Health and Safety, and they came out with a position paper on psychological health. And one of the bits in that position paper was talking about preferred terminology and their preference as well is to use that term psychological health over mental health for you know that and, and other reasons as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. You touched on the the standard. So, so the brand new standard, effectively hot off the press. I think we just released in uh, in June of this year. ISO forty five thousand and three. It's the the first global standard for mental well being in the workplace or psychological health and well being in the workplace. I think a lot of the listeners will be this will be new to them. It's new to a lot of people. You've got an excellent online course that you put together on this. So perhaps you're very well placed maybe to talk us, introduce us to the standard, if you wouldn't mind. And how can this help, let's say, the listeners, the, the well-being leaders, the HR leaders out there with implementing kind of a healthy and psychologically safe work environment? ISO 45003 is the first internationally agreed standard on psychological health and safety at work. So it's basically a best practice guide on how you prevent people developing adverse reactions to work-related stress in in a workplace setting. It is the child standard of ISO 45001, which is the standard for occupational health and safety management systems, which is actually really interesting because what it is signaling is that this is actually really a health and safety matter and should be dealt with under the organization safety management system. And it shouldn't just be something left up to HR, which I know is the the you know the majority of your listeners are from the HR world, but they're very much saying that health and safety have a role to play here, understanding it from a risk perspective and putting in risk management treatment or risk treatment, I should say, to address these at their root causes and, and again dealing with systems rather than individuals and preventative rather than reactive. The standards um, really filling a hole that has been in workplace mental health. If we think about the integrated model of workplace mental health, you really have three levels of intervention. Um, you've got mitigate illness and things like employee assistance programs, return to work, mental health first aid, which I know is also big in the United Kingdom and came from Australia originally. Yeah. They all fit in that mitigate illness. You know, Someone has identified that they're distressed or not doing well. What can we do to support that individual? I know you're very much focused on the well-being focus. So how do we promote flourishing, which is this, this other section of the integrated model? And that might be through practicing 
elements of positive psychology. It might be through aspects of good work, work design, like giving people a sense of meaning and purpose in their work, giving them you know high levels of connection and positive relationships within a team environment, allowing them to leverage their strengths in the workplace, those sorts of things. But the bit that's missing or has been missing for some time and is being addressed by this standard is the prevent harm section. So what can we do to prevent people from becoming ill in the first place and then give them kind of that baseline level to be able to flourish if we start to build up these other things? So it is very much, as you say, around risk management. It's very much around taking a continuous improvement approach to workplace mental health. So rather than just running initiatives or programs, it's, no, let's go back to staff, consult regularly in order to understand what can we do continually or over time to just gradually keep getting better and better with our systems of work that will help people to, to stay well. So am I right in saying like the focus of this is we have the mental health first aid, we have the EAP pro solutions, that which a lot of companies will have, but they're very much focused on the individual. And of course, you have workshops and any other supportive classes that, that are out there as well. Again, all focused on the individual. What ISO 45003 is doing is putting the focus back on, on the organization and what are the systems and processes and procedures that we can put in place to prevent, let's say, potentially ill health further down the line. Yeah, that's right. So it's more the group level interventions, yeah. thinking about the design of work um, versus, as you say, individuals and managing symptoms. Yeah. And for an organization or a HR leader listening in, where do you start with ISO 45003? Let's say if you've done nothing in the past or if you have an EAP, you have the mental health first aiders, where would you start with this? Well, the first thing I would do if I was a HR professional is to have a conversation with your health and safety team. And you probably would be aware already if they had, see if they have adopted a safety management system, first of all. And then if it aligns with 45001, you'll find that there's actually really good opportunity to work with your health and safety team around 45,003. Because really, even though 45,003 can be done on its own and adopt that as a psychological health and safety management system, ideally it would sit a regular safety management system alongside how you manage physical hazards in the workplace. That would be step one. If you don't have a health and safety team, say if you're a HR practitioner and they don't have a safety management system in place, the first step within ISO is actually understanding the organization and its context but then getting leadership support. Um, and you really have to align. Uh, and I know a lot of your listeners, obviously the reason they're listening to your podcast is that they're really interested in wellbeing and what they can do to, to help employees. And so you're already aligned with this message, but how are you going to get the attention and support from leadership? You cannot introduce ISO 45003 without a high level of leadership support. And by support, I don't mean a leader who's willing to get up in front of employees and talk about a lived experience of mental illness. I'm not talking about one who's going to put on cupcakes and a lunch and learn. They need to be able to ingrain this into policy. They need to look at your risk register and understand this is actually a risk that we're talking about, psychosocial hazards. How can we incorporate that in there? And then there needs to be resources available. We can't just have overworked HR and health and safety professionals going, oh, you know, all the, the other stuff that you're doing, can you do this as well? <laughs> that's, that's a psychosocial hazard in itself. What we need to do is to actually, you know, make sure it's well-resourced, that there is, you know, budget, time and advice and, and knowledge available to, to be able to do it. But I see, you know, sometimes there's, you know, professionals working within an organisation who want to jump straight into a risk assessment. So use something like the HSC Stress Indicator Tool, which is a freely available tool, for instance, run a survey, they get the results, and then they treat it like an employee engagement survey and they go, all right, 
we've got all the data now. We know what the issue is. We're going to bring in this global intervention and we're going to deal with it. It's done. That is not how you would bring in a psychological health and safety management system. It, it does require a lot of support and a lot of um, strategic planning, a high degree of consultation with staff and a commitment to go back periodically to continuously improve. From the outset, you really need to understand the context. How are you going to get this on um, the board or senior executives um, agenda and make sure it's resourced appropriately to do it properly? Okay, so this is going to take time. So it's the initial period of building relationships, building trust, getting the, the leadership on board, ensuring it's resourced. If you have that buy-in then, if you have the resources available, is, is that when you then you can look at the risk assessments, the, the survey, the gathering of data, obviously gathering that and then uh, beginning to take action? Yeah, so in the plan phase, it's all about the initial risk assessment and there's a number of ways you can do that. I mean, it could be through desktop research and understanding in your organisation, looking at some of the metrics you've got available around maybe injury claims, maybe it's EAP usage data. You can start to get an idea about what are some of the common themes. So do your listeners don't use that as your sole source of information. Um, you really need to get down to uh, the employee level and consult heavily there. One thing we always say on our podcast, at least, is you know you can't ever spend enough time or money or waste that money or time on the employee consultation phase because if you skimp there, you can actually get the intervention wrong and then you can waste a lot more time and money actually on an intervention that doesn't work and then six months later, you review it and you realise it hasn't worked or maybe the situation's even gotten worse and then you have to go back and actually bring in a new intervention. So it's really important to understand the employee experience, really understand what are the key stresses, psychosocial hazards in, in their work environment and get them involved in developing the interventions with you rather than thinking, I've got the information, I know how to address this. You know, it doesn't work unless you get that employee buy-in as well. So there's definitely a lot to this, right? It's, you know, it's, it's not a quick fix, which is not what we're looking for. This is going to take time. It's going to take investment. It's just in your experience today, I mean, is, is this really for, let's say, the larger organizations? And I'm thinking of some of the smaller companies that are listening in that just will not have the resources to dedicate to effectively the, the detailed rollout that you're talking about there. Yeah, and there's probably no need for them to adopt the whole standard in full. There's a number of really great things that they can extract from it. And it's great that BSI and ISO have made this freely available and downloadable for small organizations as well. Yeah, a lot of things need the link to it. Yeah, it's, it's a really simple read as well. It's not too, not too taxing. It's, it's not too long, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's elements, right? So the whole risk assessment process, that is something that you can extract from that. Thinking about competence requirements, like who actually needs training and upskilling in this space. So there, there are bits and pieces that you can pull out of it. But if you're a small organization, identifying the hazards might be as simple as pulling the team into a, a room and going, hey, guys, if we could just fix one or two things about how we do work, that would make you, you know, come in happier and, um, you know, be more productive, what would they be? And they could probably start to identify inefficiencies, which might be contributing to workload that doesn't need to be there. And that could be it. That's your risk assessment done. In a larger organization, to do this at scale, that's where you might need to bring in survey tools and other technologies in order to collect that data at scale and also then to be able to monitor improvements or changes in circumstances at scale. And that's a kind of, I guess, where, we, where we're mainly focused. Yeah, yeah, sure. And but still, like, you know, the example for the smaller companies is a good one, getting people in a room, trying to identify some of the hazards that, that they might be experiencing. And, and the standard itself has a list of some examples of, of these potential hazards that you can look out for. So that's all in the standard. At a minimum, it sounds like it, it will at least, I think, support 
small, medium and large organizations to try and move the focus to those organization-wide systematic hazards as opposed to just the individual hazards. And even that in itself is a positive step. Yeah. I mean, people don't know what they don't know, right? Uh, And in fact, if you go to employees and say, hey, we want to bring in something that's going to improve uh, mental health, they might say, oh, can we do yoga? Or can we do fruit bowls or, you know, can we have a week off? And that seems to be the, uh, yeah. the big thing on LinkedIn at the moment. All these large companies <laughs> are deciding their workers are burnt out and they're just going to give them all a week off. And, you know, when they come back, they're all magically going to be fixed and all the systematic issues that have caused them to be burnt out are going to disappear. <laughs> um, I just don't, I think that is not going to work. Yes, people just might need that that break, but there needs to be change when people return back to work and actually look at why were they burning out in the first place and are our business practices sustainable or not? You know, it's not feasible for people to work 10 to 12 hours a day and then not be able to disconnect from emails or phone calls after hours either. That's why people are burning out and a week off is not going to change that. So, yeah, really, I think in small organisations, there you know is a lot to get out of it. But being able to increase people's literacy around psych hazards. So, again, it's as simple as anything that causes us to be stressed, ongoing or high levels of stress. We don't have to necessarily get them to remember words like job control and organizational justice and and these sorts of things, (laughs) incivility and respect. You know, that's one of my favorite ones. Um, They don't need to know those terms. They just need to go, you know, what gives me the shits (laughs) basically at work? And if we could fix that, you know, what would that be and, and what would that look like? And where you can see that there's actually a whole group of people who have the same perception, because remember, it's all about systems, not individuals, you know, where we're finding that, hey, actually, there's a lot of people that agree with that. And um, there seems to be a real simple fix here. That's that's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to, how do we fix the systems to reduce stress rather than going, well, that person seems to be getting stressed. That person doesn't seem as usual self. No, that's, again, an individuals and a symptoms focus. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, no, I think there's there's a lot there for, for companies of all sizes, yeah. Hey everyone, a really quick note to tell you about our online learning hub, the WorkWell Institute. If you're enjoying the episode today and are interested in learning more about well-being and work, then check out the courses we have on offer at workwellinstitute.org. You'll find programs for you and your colleagues on managing stress, how to boost energy, well-being champion training, and our flagship program for well-being leaders called Developing a Workplace Wellness Program That Lasts. There's a free preview available for all of the courses at workwellinstitute.org. Now, back to our conversation. For the organization that wants to really get stuck into this, into 45,003, it's not a certification. There's no actual, you can't get a certification for this. It's just a standard that you you you, you try to adopt and you follow. Am I correct? Funny you should say that. I just spoke with Kate Field on the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast uh, recently. She's from BSI and they are offering a unaccredited certification of the standard, which you're right, you can't actually get certified officially like you could 45,001 because it is a substandard, not a, you know, a, a complete management system standard. Uh, and that's the same for all the ISO series. You can't get um, certified to substandards or child standards, only the, the parent standard. I've heard, though, that you may also be able to get that pulled into your 45001 certification. So there is a possibility to go down certification. You can have that external auditor like a BSI come in and go through the whole audit process to say, yes, have you adopted this systematically? 
Um, but like you say, there's so much value without going down that process. I seem to think with you know, sustainability being high on board agendas at the moment um, and the social impact, so the S in, in ESG, having sustainable businesses, practices and mental health you know, coming to the fore on the back of the pandemic, having some way of reporting back to shareholders that you are bringing in systems to protect the mental health of, of workers. And again, not just by doing, you know, wellness activities and lunch and learns, but actually a, a system which recognises the employer's role in creating a, a healthy work environment. I think, you know, something like um, even an unaccredited certification to the standard that you're able to report back to shareholders would be viewed positively. Absolutely, yeah. And you're right. There is a real focus on it at the moment, which is a good thing. It's trying to get that focus moving in the right direction. So something like that, uh, certainly 45,003 certified or even the unaccredited certification uh, from BSI sounds like a good option. Talk to me, and this is something that comes up time and time again with the leaders. I'm sure you've had these conversations many times yourself. You have a conversation with a senior leader and they tell you, look, we have DAP, we have mental health first aid. We've done mental health. We've done psych health and safety. We're, we're done. How do you approach that yourself? How do you uh, tackle that or, or challenge that leader? Yeah, you've listened to our podcast clearly. Because we do talk <laughs> about that. And I'm sure I've used that same terminology before. Yeah, and we've done yeah. the EAP. We've got, you know, <laughs> yoga once a fortnight. You know, we're done. We've got the, um, celeb- the celebrity for the, the one-hour resilience talk. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got a, a, a mindfulness app that we've paid for. Yeah, we're done. So I actually encountered this uh, a few years back as I was, you know, trying to get employers to recognize, you know, the benefits of taking more of a psych health and safety systemic approach. And it really was frustrating, the number of people that thought that they've done workplace mental health because they've done all of the popular things. And so my workaround uh, was actually to develop a uh, audit tool which you probably don't even know about, Brian. It's not something that we talk about regularly, but it is freely available. It's at mentalhealthaudit.com. Uh, and it's just 14 questions, yes or no. Um, do you have this in place or do you not have this in place? Yeah, and it, it covers a range of desirable kind of employer of choice things like EAP and mental health first aid. You know, Yes, there are benefits for having those for sure, but it covers also a lot of other things that we deem critical areas, which are related to your occupational health and safety obligations as an employer, or it would be aligned to ISO 45003. So a lot of that being around the risk management uh, kind of uh, injury management, uh, return to work kind of stuff that you, you need to have in place. And most organisations would struggle to tick half the boxes out of those 14. But what that then at least is gives some objectivity when people go, oh, we've got all these things in place. And I've had it before where people have spoken for 10, 15 minutes about all the great things they're doing. I'm like, let's do it. And they've got maybe three or four yeses out of 14. I'm like, well, this is the gap. You know, this is where you can still improve. Uh, and so what the you'll get a report by doing that audit tool and it points towards uh, free or affordable resources to address the identified gaps as well. So it gives you the kind of first steps on how do we, how do we, how do we address this. But that was my solution to the problem without putting people's noses out of joint um, <laughs> by saying they had a lot of work to do still. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. So mentalhealthorders.com. We can Correct. We'll share that link as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, look, that comes up all the time. And it's a difficult one because it's there's a lot of well-intentioned organizations out there. And this is a new field in a lot of areas, certainly here in Ireland, where there's a lot of companies really, really well-intentioned that really want to make you know a difference. And, and, they're, and they're learning just like we are as well. So it's great to be able to share all this kind of knowledge and detail with them about how they can improve upon what they're doing. 
Yeah, uh, and I choose to believe the same as you, Brian. I believe that, you know, deep down there's organisations that want to care for their employees and, you know, protect their mental health and wellbeing, give them that opportunity to flourish. Uh, I think it comes from ignorance um, more than anything else. People just don't know what they don't know. Um, and so it's great that the ISO standard is is getting so much press. And obviously, you know, we're doing our bit trying to, um, you know, break down what the standard's all about through appearing on podcasts like your own, putting out our free foundations training course as well um, and that sort of thing as well. A lot of talk at the moment of the future of work and, and hybrid working and all this. Uh, now, I, I hate this term, but what does the future of, let's say, psych health and safety at work look like? Is ISO 45003, is this the game changer <laughs> that we've been waiting for or is there still more to do? I actually think we're seeing the convergence of a number of different things all at one time. So there's some real tailwinds for this approach. First of all, we're seeing, obviously on the back of uh, COVID, uh, a real intense focus on mental health and workplace mental health and you know, on the back of the Olympics and some other you know, athletes talking about their mental health and, and it being related to the working conditions of these athletes, right, rather than purely being a, you know, a, a characteristic fault or a personality fault of the individual, which is fantastic that that we're starting to see that change in language. So that's coming out. I mean, in Australia, we've got more of a a regulatory focus. So uh, we are having a change in our legislation in our WHS Act that will no longer rely on just the general definition of health. So we have a duty of care as employers here to, as the UK does, to create a healthy and safe work environment. And, um, you know, when we talk about health, generally employers will only think about the physical the health was always supposed to uh, encompass the psychological as well, but employees didn't read it that way and regulators didn't feel it was enforceable. Sure. So what is happening now is that new regulations are being drafted that will include psychological injury within the act itself. And we have various states because our regulators are, you know, differ state by state. They're all coming out with codes of practice to support that practically. So there's a, you know, increased move by regulators and, and legislation and, and no doubt um, the UK and Ireland will be, um, you know, not far behind. We then have ICD-11, so the new classification for diseases from the World Health Organization. We've got a new definition of burnout that's going to be coming out at the start of 2022. The big difference is it is specifically an occupational phenomenon caused by chronic work stress that has not been managed effectively. So again, they're saying it's specifically an occupational thing, and this isn't a lifestyle issue. This is not a lack of self-care that is contributing to burnout. It is an occupational phenomenon caused by work stress. So to address burnout, it's not enough to go for long walks on the beach and eat healthy and get enough sleep. No, we actually need to get the root cause of of what is contributing to this work-related stress as well. So that's due out in the coming months as well. So there's, you know, all of these different things converging all at the same time. And then you have ISO on top of that, that is just really providing, really, this is your toolkit. This is your best practice guide on how to do this effectively. So I think, yeah, all those things together um, converging. Oh, and then the insurance angle as well, the sustainability angle. There's, yeah, there's just so many angles coming together all at one time that I really think are going to be really powerful for companies taking a better approach to how they tackle workplace mental health. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of kind of ships converging there. So it sounds like future is hopefully positive anyway, and we're certainly moving in the right direction anyhow. In that regard, interesting about the legislation. Yeah, in Ireland here we have there's a Health and Safety at Work Act that dates back to 2005, where the obligation is on the employer to provide a healthy and safe work environment. But again, similar to what you were saying, I think the, the understanding was that it was related to kind of physical health. 
So it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of changes or updates around the psychological health and safety in that act or, or in a future act. Because there, there is some interesting legislation coming down the line in terms of, well, code of practice on the right to disconnect, uh, the right to request remote working. That's all kind of going through uh, kind of codes of practice and parliament at the moment. So, yeah, positive steps, uh, stuff happening there. So let, let's hope uh, we see more of that in the future. Yeah, agreed. Listen, so you're clearly busy, you've got an awful lot going on, and not least, well, the business, the family, and the numerous podcasts you're either appearing on or hosting. What do you do to, to look after your own well-being, your own psych health, your own physical health? Well, one thing I always make sure I get, I get eight hours of sleep a night. You know, I, I can't function really unless I've got that. One of the things that myself and a few other people in the office do is we try and go for a run two or three times a week uh, during the workday. So I've got industry facilities here, so we, we take advantage of that. And as an employer, I've also made sure we've um, got some towels and I'll even take the towels home on the weekend and, and wash them kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's... I do all those things right. I mean, as as a founder and us going through a rapid startup phase, it is difficult to disconnect. My wife keeps me honest, so you know I'm expected to be home at five thirty for dinner with the kids. So do have that connectivity with the family. Try to leave the laptop off uh, when I get home. Leave it in the bag. It's there in case of emergency. But yeah, typically you know I might just be scrolling on LinkedIn or re- reply to an email quickly. But generally, if I have to do something, I'll generally just put it as a calendar note so I can deal with it when I get to work the next day so I can just chill out and disconnect. But yeah, as a founder, when it's your own business and you're scaling rapidly it's um, and you've got customers all over the world, it's it's it can be difficult just to switch off. But um, yeah, I see it as a short-term thing, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the benefit about scaling up is we're adding headcount all the time. So I'm able to distribute a lot of that responsibility as we're growing. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. No, I, I hear you on that, that switching off uh, thing. That, that's what I've found certainly the, certainly in recent months and, and even years since moving from the world of work, being an employee to having my own business to working for myself is that switching off like that, that hamster wheel, even if it's just the idea generation, it's hard to switch that off, isn't it? It just keeps on turning. Yeah, it's it's the problem, right? When it's your own business and you're passionate about what you do, I mean, that's why you do it. Like, you know, it's that passion and you want to make this thing work. But yeah, you also have to be mindful that you don't burn out. And I've been there before. I mean, earlier this year, a lot was going on. We we're raising money. We were running the podcast, doing all these things all at once. And I didn't have the team around me at that point yet okay. either. So I definitely felt that. It wasn't just that tiredness and lethargy, but that cynicism coming in as well, going, oh, do I have to do another meeting with another investor and explain this whole thing again? So yeah, no, I totally get burnout. And uh, yeah, whatever we can do to help other people avoid that, where it's not their baby, <laughs> you know, it's they are working for someone else at the end of the Today. you know employees should really be mindful of that excellent listen thank, thanks so much for for sharing everything today and you mentioned quite a few links there we'll try and include all those links and not least the excellent uh, the iso 45003 course online course really short course for people that want to get, get up to speed and i'll include a link to that i've started i've started on myself pretty much halfway through and it's you know so easy to follow so that's, that's a pretty good starting point for people that want to maybe just learn a little bit more about iso 45003 I'll include that link. Where, where should people go to, to find out more about you and about people diagnostics? I'd suggest, yeah, the, the podcast is a great place to start. It's a psych health and safety podcast. You'll find that on any podcast that you find Brian's Workwell <laughs> podcast. And then Flourish DX is our product. So feel free to check it out at www.flourishdx.com. Excellent. Listen, Jason, thanks so much. 
best of luck with all the with the family, with the Flourish DX, with the people diagnostics, exciting times. Best of luck and we'll chat to you again soon. Thanks, Brian. Hey everyone, Brian here again. A big thank you for listening right to the end of this episode of the WorkWell podcast. This podcast has been brought to you with thanks to our partners, AJ Products, who are leading the way in ergonomic and active workplace furniture solutions at ajproducts.ie. Original music that you're hearing right now was composed by my friend, Greg Clifford. You can check out the website, workwellpodcast.com, where you can access show notes for each episode and also find all our previous episodes. I would love if you could head over to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. A reminder, you can head to workwellinstitute.org to check out the education programs that we have on offer. You're welcome to share this episode with your friends and colleagues so they too can discover and benefit from the content. And finally, if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear in the show, you can email me directly at brian at workwellpodcast.com. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode.